Welcome to Rising Stars, where Miriam Knight, publisher of New Consciousness Review, interviews exciting new voices in the world of progressive and transformational books, films, and ideas who offer intriguing perspectives on life, the universe, and everything in between. Join us as we celebrate the conscious awakening and explore many expressions of consciousness in action. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rising Stars. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is Mark Mincola, Ph.D. Mark is a natural health care and nutritional practitioner who has transformed the lives of thousands of people over the past 30 years. Dr. Mincola has integrated ancient Chinese energy techniques with cutting-edge nutritional science in what has become his whole health healing system. Dr. Mincola is the author of Whole Health, A Holistic Approach to Healing for the 21st Century, and he has just come out with a new book called The Whole Health Diet, A Transformational Approach to Weight Loss. And given the time of year, I think this is something that we would all benefit from. So welcome. I'm so delighted you could join us. Such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I wonder if you could tell us what you mean by whole health as opposed to partial health. Well, for the past 33 years and 60,000 appointments, I've been busy at work trying to help people steward their way to a greater level of wellness. And like so many people in in the world these days, I'm aware of the fact and appreciative of the fact that there's no replacement for holism, the idea that we're comprised of body, mind, and spirit, the idea that we're very complex human beings with a lot of different dimensions. If we're going to be healed in a viable, successful way, we have to be reached in all those manners. So holistic health to me, whole health, is about reaching the entire human being, body, mind, and spirit, for a greater level of effectiveness. One of the things that so impressed me about your book is that you um, approach diet, in, in this case, Um, not only, as you say, from the physical aspect of the nature of the food, um, but also how individuals interact with the food. Because so many diet books are kind of one-size-fits-all, but you have a very um, original uh, approach that you call acutrition. What do you mean by that? Well, Miriam, you know, there's so many different nutritional programs out there, and they're all generically put together as if everybody could eat the same foods. And as we all know, there are many of us that are sensitive to peanuts and have anaphylactic possibilities that develop with things like peanuts, have gluten intolerance, dairy allergies. Not everybody can eat everything. I think that's the key. So I decided throughout the 33 years that I've been doing my work to kind of appreciate the fact that Einstein kind of alerted us to the reality that energy and matter are interconvertible and transferable. They're one and the same, so they're different applications for the same thing. With that in mind, I just kind of tuned into the fact that human beings are comprised of very unique energies. So are foods. And like when you go to a large party with 50, 60 people, you're not going to get along energetically with the same with everybody the same way. So I feel, feel like when you're eating different foods, there's different responses that we get energetically that are positive and or negative. And I just felt like we needed to develop systems like I did to try to tap into where the positive energetic reactions are where the negative are. 
Because, again, if we're going to try to lose weight, for example, or be healthier to, to overcome heart disease or cancer, we need to get very specific. Mm-hmm. And I always feel like the, the key to nutrition is that specificity. The energy in the food is either ma- matching your energy in a positive way or it's not. You've got to stop just looking at food purely materially, just looking at food as nutrient-based, vitamins, minerals, proteins, carbohydrates. Those are important factors, no question about it, but there's something that transcends that whole process of material nutrition that kind of really, to me, makes the difference. As I always say, the devil's in the details. <laughs> you get a specific reading on the energetic properties of foods and how they test energetically for a given person. Now we're, now we're reaching much further into the realm of greater possibility. Now, the system that you describe in your book for testing one's particular response to a given food is electromagnetic muscle testing. Is is this something that you think everyone can learn to do effectively? I've I've had so many different classes with allied health professionals, like chiropractors, acupuncturists, medical doctors, and nurses. I've graduated over 400 (coughs) people from our program, and they all practice... They, they add the electromagnetic muscle testing protocol to their respective disciplines. So we've taught so many different people, even just, you know, folks who are not professional. Mm-hmm. We've, we've been able to, both in our, in, our, in our forums, if you will, in our classes, in our books, such as the Whole Health book and the Whole Health diet book, to actually teach readers around the country in the manuals how to practice electromagnetic muscle testing in a way that allows them the opportunity to tap into the energetic foods that work for a given individual and the ones that don't work. You can't simply just kind of guess. I think it's just it's ridiculous that we don't take more time to energetically tune into the possibilities of where food intolerances may exist and where we can actually kind of accentuate energies that are more positive than, 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 than negative at trying to accomplish you know, weight loss more effectively, immune support more effectively, cardiovascular support, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's definitely something that's easy to teach. It's easy to learn. It's quite simple. It's kind of intuitive the way the process unfolds. Mm-hmm. Something's good for you, it strengthens you. Something's bad for you, it weakens you. And that's what we're doing is we're tapping into muscle resistance to find out where the strengths and weaknesses are. Right. Now, that's part of the battle is actually finding the foods that will give you the best nutrition for your particular body type. But nearly a third of Americans diet in any given year, but only 10 to 30% actually succeed in losing the weight they'd like to. So how is our whole approach to dieting wrong or flawed? Well, first of all, I think the the numbers are varied. You know, you you can talk to different sources. I think the Center for Disease Control, the FDA, has so many different numbers. But in general, dieting fails at a rate of about 95% within the first year. So you're absolutely right. This is not a, a great success story that we want to talk about. Weight loss is a $40 billion a year industry. You've got 50 million Americans that diet every year, spending $40 billion at a 95% failure clip. Those are devastating numbers. So there's no question for certain here that we're dealing with an industry that focuses on a quick fix economically with the promise of a fix of a quick fix in in practical weight loss terms it just never seems to formulate so there's a promise that we can make you lose weight quickly and easily and the the idea is that 
Uh, it's it's designed really for the benefit of of the author. It's designed for the benefit of the of the designer, mm -hmm. the, the weight loss designer. Because everybody loses gains the weight right back, even if they do succeed. Exactly correct. Within the first year. Wow. So, you know, the idea that that weight loss programs are effective and efficient. I think, you know, for the most part, we have a culture that's all about trying to make money. Not that, that's, not, not, not that I want to desecrate that concept, you know, there's, there's a great <laughs> aspect of creativity and all that business. I just think that when it comes to weight loss, there's so many people with so many heartfelt uh, needs, expectations, visions, hopes, wishes, hopes, and dreams, so many people with addiction, so many people with obsessive compulsion, and I think it's just terrible that they're being played upon by an industry that is just completely erroneous. So what do you think are the most important components in weight gain in the first place? Well, for starters, I think there's a lot of emotional connection. I talk a lot about it in the whole health diet. I say there's a really powerful point that we need to kind of consider. This is what I call the feed or feel concept. And when push comes to shove and stress peaks, you know, stress is a very specific chemical reaction. There's 45 different hormones that we produce that are based on emotional sort of disappointments, heartache, grief, fear, anger, rage, so many different components to emotion that, that unfortunately are steered in the direction of food because of instant gratification. The idea that so many people are focused on the idea of not wanting to kind of feel or express the hurt or even acknowledge or admit the hurt, but overcome it, stuff it. So they want to force it down with the instant gratification of food and beverage and they become highly addicted in that process mechanically. Mm -hmm. I say it's really important to kind of confront that you need to feel instead of feed. You don't want to feed, you don't want to feed the problems down. You want to feel them out and let them express. I say it's like energy that's volcanic. Right. Emotion, I say, needs uh, to be reduced and demystified to pure yeah. energy. We're going to have to take a quick break now. <laughs> this time is going so quickly. We're speaking with Mark Mincola about the whole health diet. Stay with us, and we will be right back after these messages. Your conscious lifestyle on steroids. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. And we're back speaking with Dr. Mark Mincola about the whole health diet. Uh, Mark, can you tell us what your website is? It's maxhealing.com. Max, M-A-X healing. Maxhealing.com. Maximum healing, I take it. So that's maxhealing.com. Way, yay. You got it exactly correct, Mary. <laughs> now, we were talking just before the break about this uh, feel or feed dichotomy. Um, did you finish that thought? I was, I was going to mention the fact that I think it's important. I, you know, a lot of my writing work, I've written six books, and my writing work has is directly reflected from a lot of the practical work that I've done with tens of thousands of patients over the past three decades. I just noticed so many people are overwhelmed with the concept of emotion. It's like the energy of something sometimes can be so, can appear to be so much bigger than we are that we tend not to want to deal with it. Uh, you walk into a messy room and the, the room hasn't been clean for months, you just, you just, sometimes you just want to walk out of the room because it's just more than you can handle. You're up to your ears in stress. I see emotion is kind of similar, that we, we develop these volcanic mountains of emotion within our heart chakras. We can't contend with, we tend to overlook them. We can't contend because of the, the power, the energetic power 
I think it's important to remove that, to demystify emotion, to demystify it as pure, purely energy. So and that... Not to look at it, not, not to look at it in, in ways that are associated with names and faces and dates and circumstances that have stories wrapped around them. If you wrap a story around emotion, it becomes infinitely more powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think the key really here is to just kind of look at it as purely energetic properties that can be released in simple energetic terms. I think that if we don't do that, it builds and builds and builds, and we're more inclined to want to take food and beverage and stuff the energy as opposed to express it and release it. I did notice in your bio that you have uh, your first degree is in psychology, so I think that is um, feeding into your worldview. What other components of a weight gain are the next most important? We, we've talked about emotion. What about genetics or f- food choices? Well, you know, from a genetic perspective, J. Craig Venter, who's the father of the modern human genome, who's done more genetic research than anybody on the planet, in February of 1991 made a statement that genetic determinism has been dead for 20 years. You've only got 30,000 genes. He says that they're selling pharmaceutical drugs off the notion of, you know, cholesterol because the idea that your grandfather had high cholesterol so that's why we're going to put you on Lipitor. Mm-hmm. You don't stand a chance to fix it with nutrition. It's just a complete misnomer. I think they're using that concept and they have been using that concept as a marketing tool. It's the behavior of genes we just think about. Genes are like light switches. You can turn on healthy genes, turn off unhealthy genes, or vice versa. The objective is the expression of the genes can be managed through things like behavior, can be managed through things like nutrition and diet. The objective I think we need to kind of focus on nowadays is the idea that we can actually affect our genes the way they express themselves based on a lot of different options that are behavioral and nutritional as well. So I look at the nutritional aspect of that answer from a perspective of starch. So many people don't differentiate between high and low starch carbohydrates. Broccoli is a carbohydrate. Celery is a carbohydrate. Apples are carbohydrate. Nobody thinks of them that way. They're low starch carbohydrates. They're also high starch carbohydrates like potatoes, brown rice, carrots, breads, pastas, cereals. It's the high starch carbohydrates that actually increase the, the circulation of insulin in the body. The more insulin we produce, the more fat we store because insulin is a fat-storing hormone. It programs the body mechanistically to store fat, store fat, store fat. So I could eat a low-calorie diet. In the old days, we used to just simply count calories. I say you could take a 600-calorie diet, which is very, 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 very low, comprised of nothing but potatoes, rice, and bread, and store so much fat from that diet. You have belly fat. You look like you're gaining weight even though you're losing it. It's a very different kind of downloading, a different programming biochemically. Mm-hmm. You could take twice as many calories in the form of proteins, low-starch carbohydrates like greens, low-sugar low sugar fruits like apples, and you could burn those calories much more effectively. So it's not just counting the calories that a food brings. It's thinking in terms of the programming capability that it brings into the body mechanistically. So starch stores fat. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of the uh, whole health aspect of the diet, you also talk a lot about um, cleaning up uh, your food choices. Uh, do we really have to go all organic to, to be healthy? Well, I believe we do. I believe, you know, we need to think in terms of how, once again, it's kind of like the answer I just gave a minute ago about, about insulin and starch. Foods and chemistries 
not only bring their obvious influence of density and calories, they also bring programming hormones. So food, certain foods will actually trigger certain hormonal reactions that will actually program the body to be more inclined to store fat, burn fat, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of, a lot of research indicates that there was a lot of research done this past year at Purdue University in the Midwest regarding genetically modified foods. The proteins that are, that are genetically modified were, have been shown in many cases actually erode or corrosively erode a lot of the, uh, the, the mucous membranes in the body, stomach lining, creating kind of like a, a series of holes and fissures and gaps in the intestines where the nutrients leak on through. So you're not really getting a full, complete absorption of nutrients. So when you've got genetically modified toxins like that, that have the ability to corrosively erode stomach lining, allowing the nutrients to slip through the, through the stomach and not to be properly absorbed, you can't really benefit on metabolic support. Well, it's not only that. You've got your, the, the bacteria in the gut are the main source of things like anything from serotonin to, to B vitamins to all kinds of nutrients. No and if they're exposed to the kind of, of toxins that will kill the bugs eating the grains in the first place, um, it's no wonder that they're affected. And it's, it's, it's so fundamentally important to think in terms of food properties being dramatically altered and having, an, having a negative effect on metabolism. It's, you know, the most important part of calorie burning, the most important part of weight loss and dieting really comes down to metabolism, the rate at which we burn calories. There's so many different things that will affect that rate of calorie burning. One of the things we need to kind of think in terms of here is we're either producing a greater level of anabolic hormones or catabolic hormones. Anabolic builds, it builds muscle, it builds firm tissue, it helps burn calories. Catabolic actually burns tissue and stores fat calories. So, you know, there's many different chemistries, many different forms of chemistry that have been studied from with regards to organic foods versus non-organic foods, food additives, food coloring, all kinds of different negatives that have had a, a proclivity, a tendency to increase catabolic function and decrease anabolic function. That is the core, that is the absolute nucleic core of what weight loss is really all about. And is there an easy way to distinguish between foods that will help you lose weight and won't? Um, there is. I think, you know, we try to do that in the whole health diet. We talk about cleaning up the diet. If you want to be lean, you've got to eat clean, as I like to say. That's kind of a starting point. So going for USDA organic, and you asked about organic a minute ago. Mm -hmm. The laws are a little bit fuzzy as far as, far as organic. A product can actually say that it's organic and only have to be, by legal requirements, 70% organic. But if it says USDA organic and it's got that green and white stamp on it, that's got to be 99.6% organic. That is the most reliable uh, assurance that we have that something is truly clean. That's number one. If you want to be lean, you got to eat clean. Go for USDA organic. Number two, cut your starches, your high starch, down to one serving per day. One serving of baked potatoes, sweet potatoes, two slices of yeast-free whole grain bread, one cup of oatmeal, one cup of brown rice, any one of those starches, but only one a day. Mm -hmm. I say you're better off to leave your your low-sugar fruits and your, high, and your low-starch low vegetables, greens like zucchini, green beans, spinach, uh, asparagus, broccoli, those are your low-starch, your low-sugar uh, green vegetables. 
those along with lean protein, chicken, turkey, fish, so, tofu, soy products that are, that are non-fermented. Uh, beans, keep your proteins and your low-starch vegetables at a high premium in your diet. That is the best way to increase the glucagon in your body, to burn calories. That's number two. That's the most important part of the equation. You mentioned soy. There's a lot of controversy around soy. How do you decide which... Well, because remember we talked earlier about electromagnetic muscle testing. Uh-huh. The, first, the first important screen, if you will, is to test people for their foods, to see if they... T- it's like food allergy testing, if you will. And some people are going to test positive, some are going to test negative. It comes down to individual, bio-individualistic testing, which the book actually shows the reader how to go through. So if somebody doesn't pass soy, it's no different than whether they didn't pass broccoli or whether they failed celery or apples. Mm-hmm. I say all negative foods need to be screened, need to be confirmed, need to be avoided. You also, you also suggest repeating the test periodically because people's sensitivities can change over time. Well, yeah, and absolutely true. I think, you know, we, we understand that emotionally... You're not the same person today that you were yesterday emotionally. If you've got a flat tire on the freeway uh, today, you're not going to be the same way today that you are tomorrow. So we change emotionally, we change mentally. We're very complex, very intricate human beings. We go through so many different shifts and changes throughout the course of the day and the week and the month and the year. You've got to keep abreast of those changes. Now, with chemistry and food and cellular response, there's a basic kind of constitutional format. There's a basic kind of rudiment to who we are. For example, if somebody's allergic to wheat, they're allergic, that's not going to change. If somebody's sensitive to uh, you know, overeating a certain food, like if they overeat too many uh, green beans, they might, they might say, God, I, the thought of eating a green bean makes me want to get sick. Because those are, those are intolerances that need to be kind of governed or measured and got to be kind of cautiously avoided for overeating. If you want to kind of rotate your foods, you want to continue to recheck yourself, try to keep those rotations in mind as, as being a... Uh, an updated kind of, an updated approach to staying with your energetic properties with your foods. Your foods. I just want to, I just want to highlight that comment about rotation because you make a big point of it in the book, that if we eat anything too much, we can sensitize ourselves. Absolutely correct. You can take the healthiest food in the world, something we we muscle test you for today. Let's let's just pick on a food for a minute. Let's say asparagus tests really really strong. Great food, good good food to help you lose weight and be efficient immunologically, etc. But you eat, you eat asparagus every day for the next two weeks. That's going to change. Your body's going to say, look, I, I can't tolerate this constant, constant, same old, same old. And I say the body's like the mind. I clearly feel if I put them in a kind of boring situation where you're doing the same thing mentally all day, every day, for two weeks, you're going to eat instead of going to go on vacation mentally. Mm-hmm. When the body does the same thing, the body slows down position. Well, we're coming up to another break, and we're going to have to ask you to stay with us. We're speaking with Dr. Mark Mincola about the whole health diet. We'll be back right after these messages. Host your show on IOM FM, the radio network of Ohm Times Media, one of the more recognized brand names in the conscious community, and is backed by the extensive marketing reach of Ohm Times. Hosting a show on IOM-FM immediately connects you with our extensive, dedicated community. The cutting edge of conscious radio. Ohm Times Radio. IOM-FM. And we are back with our guest, Dr. Mark Mincola, author of The Whole Health Diet. Just before the break, we were talking about good foods that might have detrimental effects. 
Now, one of the foods that you mentioned in the book um, has had a lot of press lately as being very beneficial, which is fermented food, and yet you caution us against it. Uh, can you expand on that? Sure. Uh, number one, I feel that there's a number of different fermented foods that have created a cottage industry in the last 10 years. Things like apple cider vinegar, kimchi, etc., etc. So there's an awful lot of people that are telling us that, that fermentation is a very positive thing, and it is, not to confuse things. There's some foods that represent a double-sided double coin. They have something good, something not so good. So we tend to think of everything in black or white. Something's either good for you or it's not good for you. There are many different food elements and many different nutrients that are representative of possible, possible good stuff and possible bad stuff simultaneously. A little bit of a risk-reward context. If I think about fermentation, fermentation from the good side actually increases our, our buildup of B5 in the gut. Floral bacteria, like you mentioned earlier, good, good positive floral bacteria. Um, the intrinsic factor of vitamin B12, folic acid, a lot, of, a lot of very positive aspects to fermented food at helping us increase the efficient assimilation of those aforementioned nutrients. Also, the other side of the coin is there's somebody like Dr. Otto Warburg. Dr. Otto Warburg was a two-time Nobel Prize-winning cancer researcher, studied uh, respiratory cancer for 41 years. As I said, won two Nobel Prizes. He goes on to say the primary cause of cancer is the fermentation of sugar. The idea that fermentation has a negative side to it is often sort of avoided. Mm -hmm. The bottom line of it is fermentation, according to the work of Warburg, produces acetic acid, peruvic acid, lactic acid, carbonic acid, pneumonia. Those are potentially inflammatory, potentially cancerous. So I want to caution people against the overuse of fermentation. Occasional is perfectly fine. I wouldn't saturate in it because we tend to get where we tend to get this, this kind of jitterbug in us that we want to kind of overdo. We read, we read good things about a certain <laughs> food. Or yeah, if a little overdo. is good, more must be better. You got it. Yeah. Well, there, there are other uh, inflammatory foods that you mentioned. Uh, what are they? Well, inflammation, for starters, is no, no longer what we used to think. We used to think of back 10, 15, 20 years ago, inflammation we thought of as a tennis elbow, an achy joint, an inflamed achy joint. We now know that inflammation is a biochemical hormonal reality. It actually is responsible for 72% of all disease. There are 150 different autoimmune diseases all triggered, 100% of those are triggered by inflammation. The chemistry of inflammation is a nasty genetic trigger of disaster. You know, the day we're born, we have a genetic map. It's called the genome. Our genome basically says, look, if Miriam or Mark are going to get sick, it's going to be in the following sequence, migraine, headaches, whatever the case may be. So our disease map, if you will, our constellations of our, of our disease map are already kind of in, in, sort of engraved, if you will. They're already already etched in, in our chemistry. And we need to realize that those genetic possibilities, as horrible as they may be, require expression, require firing, require triggering. They can't trigger themselves. So the genetic disaster in the world is almost constricted. The chemistry of inflammation is inflammation from ultimately from food. Foods produce six essential fatty acids. And fatty acids produce these hormones that actually produce the inflammatory process. So there's foods like peanuts, peanut butter, red meats, egg yolks, not egg whites, but egg, whites, egg yolks, dairy products, a lot of fermented foods that we talked about earlier. These foods in mass produce arachidonic acid. The arachidonic acid is one of the fatty acids that becomes the raw material from 
which these inflammatory hormones are manufactured. Leukotriene B4, thromboxane A2s, hydroxylated fatty acids, lipoxins, all these inflammatory hormones require a fat. Fat comes from food, and that's kind of how those plays out. But you also talk about fats that are anti-inflammatory, like CLAs. Sure. Well, in fact, most of the world now knows, nowadays, knows nowadays, look at that, right, that things like fatty fish, flax oil, flax seeds, these are potentially anti-inflammatory because they produce a whole different set of chemistries. Once again, it comes down to a good fat, bad fat proposition. Fats produce hormones. Hormones are basically constructed from lipids. So there are good, healthy anti-inflammatory fats like alpha-linolenic acid from, from which uh, flax seeds are manufactured. Flax seeds will yield that are representative of anti-inflammatory fats, supportive anti-inflammatory fats. You build those up in your system, you'll fight inflammation. Mm-hmm. There's spices that will fight inflammation as well. We know that. Things like curcumin, things like ginger, rosemary, powerful anti-inflammatory agents as well. Yeah, I was surprised that you, you said that they have like hundreds of times more inflammatory, uh, more uh, antioxidant action than the foods that we consider most powerful. It, it was a stunning, stunning uh, development that the USDA did a study back in 2005 called the ORAC study. They've done a series of them since then. The first ORAC study was in 2005. Oxygen radical absorbance capacity. The ability for a food to actually become an anti-cancer agent, an anti-inflammatory heart, anti-heart disease agent, etc. So the, the USGA basically said, look, we're going to try to evaluate in some kind of discernible way with a point to score, scoreboard totals and all that stuff, how the American public as consumer public could tune into the, anti, the anti-inflammatory potential of foods to be used for their, for their safety and well-being. They basically looked at the foods, evaluated them, they found that the highest point total of anti-inflammatory foods were around 15,000 points. Eight of the top ten were beans and berries. And they looked at spice. On the average quarter teaspoon of spice was anywhere from 25 to 100 times stronger. And a quarter teaspoon of spice isn't very much. Wow. So to take something like blueberries that are organic, 15,000 points, anti-inflammatory points, which is as high as it goes. And a little a quarter teaspoon of cinnamon, it just shoots right through the roof hundreds of times above the norm. So spice is really a, a great, great benefit of disease prevention from the anti-inflammatory perspective. So that's literally the spice of life. Indeed it is. So um, you were uh, talking in your book about um, thyroid, things that affect the thyroid. I mean, what is so... Um, confusing to to us lay people is how everything is connected so there's the adrenal and the thyroid and then you think you're eating healthy foods like cabbage and 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 stuff like that and then you find out that it actually suppresses the thyroid so what's that all about well, there's, there's a group of chemistries called goitrins g-o-i-t-r-e-n-s goitrins these are these are little tiny protein molecules they have the ability to block and obstruct and shield the thyroid's absorption of iodine. Well, iodine is really important as a nutrient for thyroid function. Your metabolic function really requires and demands and, and has a very strong need for the proper supply of iodine to the thyroid. There are foods that block the iodine absorption, and those are called goitrins. And you're absolutely right, cruciferins. Here's the key. A lot of people are sort of focusing on trying to weight, lose weight over 
especially after the holidays, first of the year, they, they, they sort of get into these eating programs that are, quote, healthy. You get into these New Year's resolutions, they're eating more salads. So when you eat a salad and you're going to a salad bar, you see raw broccoli, you're thinking to yourself, this is a great food. It's healthy, rich in vitamin A and fiber and all that stuff. If you steam the broccoli, it loses its goitrin effect. The raw broccoli, the raw cabbage, the coleslaw, can raw cruciferins that are not at least steamed or cooked. Those are the most dangerous, not dangerous, the most saturated in the goitrins that are going to block our thyroid's absorption of iodine. So if you really want to keep your thyroid up and functioning at a higher higher efficiency clip, you want to make sure you avoid eating raw cruciferous vegetables. Make sure you steam them for 10 minutes. That's all, it makes all the difference in the world. That's does does that include spinach? Um, no, no, it does not. I mean, I know it's not a cruciferous vegetable, but how about raw spinach? Is that okay for you? It is. That's a different matter altogether. The mm-hmm. spinach tends to have a high concentration of oxalic acid, which for anybody that's kind of kidney stones and kidney weakness, nephritis, nephrosis, if I want to forego raw spinach. Mm-hmm. You know, it can get so confusing uh, because you get really almost diametrically opposed advice from different books. That's why I like the whole approach of finding out what your own sensitivities are and what's best for you. Um, no question about the fact that that goes back to the whole health healing system that says, look, I'm not going to just give you advice about what I think is, is best for you. I'm going to give you advice on how to discover what's best for yourself. There's a big, big difference. And again, as you pointed out earlier so eloquently and so accurately, the whole health diet plan and the whole health book point out the fact very clearly that it's not about one size fits all. To me, that's true of everything. You know, if you think of the common cold, some people do well with vitamin C, some people get absolutely no effect from it at all. It's a matter of understanding that each individual should be evaluated at their own pos- their own set of possibilities for how well they do with vitamin C for the com- common cold, vitamin A for the common cold, zinc for the common cold, selenium for the common cold. Same thing for dieting. You need to tap into your specific biochemical needs at the most subtle energetic level. That's how you get results. Mm-hmm. Now, you talked about training, the, the, the ease of training uh, health practitioners in metabolic testing. Um, is this something that a reader of your book can learn? It is. I think, you know, one of the things I decided a long time ago is that I may have seen 60,000 appointments over the past 33 years. I'm not going to see the millions and millions of people that are out there that are so deserving of that same information. I used to look by the window, the big front window in our office. Hundreds of cars going by every day, and I think somebody just came in my office that I helped, you know, beat a disease, improve their nutrition, their health, and it was a major breakthrough and a wonderful celebration. But I'm thinking, as wonderful as that one person is, and it is wonderful and doesn't diminish the, the effect at all, but you look out that big picture window at the hundreds of cars that are going by every day, how many people am I, not, am I not reaching that deserve to be reached, that are frustrated, that need the help, need the information? So I decided that books was going to be my next, my next horizon, the idea of writing as many books as I could to explain how to help people to help themselves and to make them more self-sufficient, more tuned into to making a difference in their own lives. And it's so rewarding when I get emails from around the country. People have read my books that have beaten a disease or have helped themselves to improve their health factor dramatically and they're so proud and so health, so happy about the whole process, and that, that's probably the greatest reward I could ever imagine. You know, it's interesting. We had um, a speaker at one of our gatherings 
who uh, was a medical intuitive, and she was telling people to go read Dr. Mincola's book on whole health. So <laughs> you have, your, your fame has reached other dimensions. Oh my God, that's so wonderful. It's so nice of you to share that. I'm thrilled to hear that. <laughs> Well, we, we're, we're coming up to another break, and I just want to repeat, your uh, website is maxhealth.com, is that no, correct? Maxhealing. Maxhealing.com. That's M-A-X. Maxhealing. Right, maxhealing.com. You also have a, a personal website, markmincola.com, right? Well, actually, they're the same thing with two, two different names. I, all roads lead to Rome. Very good. All roads lead to Rome. <laughs> a conscious lifestyle for a mindful life. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. Om Times Magazine is one of the leading online content providers of positivity, wellness, and personal empowerment. A philanthropic organization, their net proceeds are funneled to support worldwide charity initiatives via Humanity Healing International. Through their commitment to creating community and providing conscious content, they aspire to uplift humanity on a global scale. Ohm Times, co-creating a more conscious lifestyle. Matt Connerton here. Join Jen Coffee and I twice a week for Matt Connerton Unleashed, a political talk show that's a little different than what you're used to. No liberal or conservative agenda here, just an honest dialogue about truth and how things really work in the world of politics. Matt Connerton Unleashed, every Tuesday and Thursday night at 11 p.m. Eastern on Ohm Times Radio. This is Terry Van Horn, and I want to invite you to join me for my weekly radio show, Hailing Light, on Own Times Radio, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. On Hailing Light, we want to bring love, light, and blessings into your world. You can find out more about us at www.healinglightonline.com. Blessings. Being a radio host on IOM FM allows you to build your show on a rich platform with the power of the Internet to fulfill your outreach goals and connect with a very specialized and global online audience, unlimited by time and distance. Ohm Times Radio will provide you with web relevance, a recognizable conscious brand, and with the standard of excellence that has accompanied every single Ohm Times endeavor. Host your show with Ohm Times Radio Network. The best of the holistic, spiritual, and conscious world. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. And we're back speaking with Dr. Mark Mincola, author of The Whole Health Diet. Before the break, we were speaking about foods that cause inflammation and uh, selecting foods that are good for your particular constitution. But the real test of a diet is whether you can actually stick to it and whether it will help you lose weight. So what are the most important components in a weight loss diet as opposed to a healthy lifestyle diet? I think for starters, there needs to be compensation. When you tell somebody they can't eat something, you're, you're starting out with it's a real, it's a real, you're starting out with a world of trouble. Tell somebody they can't have something, it's just a matter of time before they cave in. So I focus on the perspective of what they can do in an unlimited form. I say if you take low starch vegetables, like broccoli, green beans, spinach, etc., salads, 
and low sugar fruits like apples and berries. And you tell the you tell the prospective dieter they can literally eat an unlimited amount of those foods. You know, nobody's going to overeat those foods to a point of sickness. Never happened. I, I started that that process 33 years ago, and it's never failed in 33 years. So you start from the perspective of what I call free foods. So salads, broccoli, green beans, spinach, zucchini, asparagus, summer squash, free food, free food, free food, free food. Eat as much as you'd like. Also, the low starch or low sugar fruits, apples, berries, uh, peaches, uh, nectarines, as much as you like. These are free foods. So I'm starting off from the totally opposite perspective of not what you can't have, but what you can have an unlimited amount of. But you've got to pay for it. You can have starch like rice, pasta, bread, potatoes, sweet potatoes, cereals, but you can only have one serving per day. So we're kind of trading. We're horse trading here. We're telling you you can have all the vegetables and fruits you want, but you've got to give it up to the point of only one starch a day. That is by far and away the most important, the most important aspect of weight loss, no question about it. You want to keep the glucagon secretions elevated, the insulin low as possible. That's the quickest way to do it. You have a, the, the, the final section of your book actually uh, focuses more on the emotional aspects. Uh, tell us how you would approach that. Well, I think it's, it's very soul-searching, too. It's a very deep section of the book where it says, look, it, there's no diet plans out there that care about your deeper self. And you live in a culture that, that pretty much glosses over it and it clings to the notion of addiction for obfuscation. The more, the more alcohol that I drink, the less I'll feel. People are pretty desensitized. I say this is a beautiful process of unfoldment. We need to kind of change our entire understanding of unfoldment emotionally. Celebrate emotion. Think of it as your friend. Think of it as a beautiful experience. Think of it as the unfoldment of your deeper self. And think of it as something that you can demystify, something that you can actually benefit from, grow from, gain from, become transformed by. It's a beautiful process. I think it's a matter of changing your perspective, not seeing it as a, as a liability, but rather an asset. Emotion is a beautiful part of our reality that's, that's not particularly prized in this culture because it seems to get in the way of economic progress seems to get in the way of materialism. So I think there's this kind of realistic confrontation that we, we want to engage ourselves in that puts down the addiction, the obsessive compulsion, that puts down the, the, the desecration of emotion, that puts down the whole kind of idea that we, we don't need to go deeper, that, and then embraces the whole concept of getting as real as you possibly can, embraces the notion of going deeper. And I say that if you go deep enough in your emotions, you'll arrive at your source. You can't do better than that. That's, that's the best way to heal virtually anything and anybody, is to help encourage them to transit their way into their source. Emotion is, is a beautiful guiding light that takes us into that place. And I think it's important to include that as part of our, our healing process and our weight loss process. You go into the sort of polarities of failure and success. You're, you have a, a section called Fail to Succeed. What do you mean by that? Well, I think, you know, again, we're so stressed out, we're so driven to succeed in this culture. We have arguably the most successful materialistic culture in the history of the planet. But it's come at a horrible cost. We've all known so many, perhaps even ourselves, who've burned out, hit walls, gotten sick, so many people that have died. I have friends that have literally overworked themselves to the point of demise. I think that just there's such a premium placed on succeeding, succeeding, succeeding. 
purely for the sake of succeeding. I say that we need to kind of be willing to understand what it means to let go, to lose, to not win, to not win all the time, to just give it your best and not worry about the, the, uh, the crippling effect of failure. I say we need to be able to rise up. You know, I always say that the road to success is paved with failure. We need to kind of put it in a very different perspective and appreciate that there's a holism to failure and success. You can't separate one from the other. They're both part of one circle, part of one whole. So it just kind of takes the reader into a place where they can kind of, I guess, demystify failure and competition in a way that's, that's potentially enhancing and imbuing and healing. I think particularly in the context of diet and weight loss, that, no that it's very um, apposite because <laughs> we've all failed at so many diets. Yeah, How okay. can we really maximize our chance of success? Exactly correct. Um, if readers just made one change after reading your book, what would you want it to be? What would be your leaving message for the reader? The leading message is, can you, can you hear me? I can only hear you in snatches, so I don't know if uh, this is coming through or not. Lovely to speak with you. I hope you can hear this. I wish your listeners the greatest of health in the new year. I wish you all the very best of growth and healing and possibilities that are infinite. Those of you who wish to lose weight, if there's any way that I can help you with the whole health diet, I'd be honored to do so. You can purchase it on Amazon.com and use it a very lovely, lovely program. Pleasure to be on. I look forward to being on again sometime. My very best to all of you. Happy New Year. I'm going to assume that Dr. Mancola finished his thought, and I do apologize for these technical difficulties. Uh, it'll be interesting to hear the recording and see what came out of all this. In any event, um, I want to... We're, we're coming up to the end of the show, and I want to thank you for being with us today, despite our technical difficulties. We have been speaking with Dr. Mark Mincola, the author of The Whole Health Diet, his new book, um, and do get his, his earlier book as well, which is called um, Whole Health, A Holistic Approach to Healing. It's a wonderful book as well. His website is maxhealing.com and our website is ncreview.com where you'll find our magazine and our podcast archive and our reviews blog well i hope you'll join us next week in the meantime as we head into the new year i hope it's a wonderful one for you full of health happiness joy and light many blessings goodbye